just the cream of the crop and every field that comes to Saudi is going to be on display at the best of their art form or at the best of their competitive levels. That is what I'm most looking forward to taking some time off when I'm not in the center of the ring and watching other sports display their excellence right there in the kingdom every time they come. Hello and welcome to the Main Man Show. We are coming to you from our studios in Riyadh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And our guest today is in Manchester, England, but he gets his bills in Austin, Texas. He is a critically acclaimed sports journalist from the United States of America, Radio Rahim. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us while you're an, on assignment in Manchester. Man, I couldn't be happier to be with you. I've been running into you in the kingdom over and over again. We keep talking about doing this, and you finally made it happen. So thank you for having me on, making this happen. Uh, there's no place else I'd rather be right now. All right, man. There, there is no guest we'd rather have on the show today other than you. And uh, before we kick off with everything, let me just give our audience in this part of the world an idea of, of, of who you are. So a very acclaimed announcer for boxing, Michael Buffer, said that you know it's a big boxing event and it's a big fight feel when Radio Rahim is in the house. So uh, I guess we got that big fight feel in the show today, right? That's right. And I must say that Michael Buffer was my mentor in creating that kind of space for myself. You also know it's a big fight when you hear, let's get ready to rumble in the middle of a ring. And so when I saw how he pursued his career and carved out that niche for himself, I thought I would follow suit, follow those footsteps, and do the same. So, whereas I'm not a ring announcer, I like to think that I am the voice of boxing. All right, all right. And just like how you like to call yourself the voice, the voice of boxing, I'd like to call myself the voice of English Saudi media. And in the spirit of your mentor, Michael Buffer, let's get ready to rumble. Ooh, boy, let's kick off with the some first money. question. <laughs> Hey, man, it's all good. They can come chase me all, all, all the way, uh, you know, here in Riyadh. But I'd like to see how much they can get, they can get out of me. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so, you know, uh, you've been in Saudi several, several times. You know, we've, we've bumped into each other on a lot of events. You know, you've, you've been to a lot of WWE events. You've also been into these, the big international fights like um, Jake Paul and Tommy Fury. What is your experience, you know, just coming to Saudi and, 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 you know, experiencing these live big events happening in the kingdom? I'm no stranger to live big events all over the world. But when I was a stranger in Saudi, when I first came to the kingdom and saw a live big event happening there, the thing that struck me first and most was how excited the fans and the citizenry were to have something like that in their backyard. Kids from uh, seven to 70, all kids, <laughs> were so thrilled to see superstars in the kingdom, to see these big events on the big stages, the lights and the cameras, people like me coming over, people in the middle of the ring, and all the kind of entertainers who have been there when I've been there have had a similar experience in that 
the enthusiasm from the people is unmatched. Like they're enjoying the show. They're enjoying the visitors. They're enjoying the other people that come from around the world to see events in the kingdom. And so that kind of energy and excitement and positivity all week long, not just on fight night, is something that when I return, I look forward to experiencing over and over again. All right. I mean, uh, personally, uh, and uh, from my my personal experience, whenever I go and cover all these events, I mean, I, I like to quote. Uh, I'd like to quote the late de- uh, WWE ring uh, announcer Gorilla Monsoon, where he says the intensity is so thick that you can cut it with a knife. So it's in it's. It's it's just truly like a feeling that kind of gives you goosebumps. These big fight feels and these big events. Uh, yeah, I'd say and, you could uh, cut it with a next... smile <laughs> because everybody there yeah. is smiling ear to ear and having such a great time. That's part of the positivity I'm talking about. Like I get inspired by seeing how excited they are to see my work and to uh-huh. see the performers and fighters that are in the ring or doing the shows like that kind of stuff is what gives me gas and fuel in my tank all right all right and uh speaking of you know gas and fuel in your tank and traveling the world and covering big big fights and big events around the world you're gonna be in Riyadh next for the uh tyson fury against francis Ngannou uh bout what are your expectations? Are there any significant changes between, you know, the events that you basically cover here in Saudi compared to other parts of the world? Yes. I mean, inshallah, I'll be in the middle of the ring for that fight. I'll be doing the post-fight interviews. And one thing that is maybe different in Saudi than in the rest of the world is that they're so invested in the event that, uh, you know, I never know which side they're going to be cheering for. Like in a different state in America or even in England, you got to know where the audience is going to lean, who the fan favorite is going to be. But in Saudi, it's always a toss-up. Like I don't know where they decide that their loyalties lie from one fight to the next. So when it comes to Tyson Fury and Ngannou, I don't know if the British – persuasion is going to hit them and say, you know, uh, we've seen Fury out here before. We've seen him when he was supporting Tommy. He was been to the kingdom. That's our guy or Nganu, whose hometown's a lot closer. Maybe that that's their guy. And he's an MMA fighter and they're excited to have him. And he's a first timer fighting there. And maybe that they'll decide to support him. I have no idea. So on the night, it's fun for me to watch the fans decide who they're backing. And I've even seen them switch in the middle of fights because one guy is impressing them or outperforming his expectations and they go crazy for that. So it's a real honest way to experience uh, combat sports. And that is a lot of fun for me, you know, in the center of the ring or watching this really drama unfold. The fans there are so honest and they're experiencing it in, in real time in the moment. And that's not something that you get everywhere. And uh, when when you're not working, when you're here uh, in 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 Saudi or you know in Riyadh in particular, um, what did you explore? What did you get to experience? You know, I mean, fortunately, I spent a lot of time working there, and even that work is an experience. But when I do have some downtime, I've been an honored guest, or been honored to be a guest, I should say, at Prince Khalid's home. I've seen, you know, the culture of the big dinner and him having and hosting 
so many huge celebrities, huge names that come to the kingdom, showing them really what it's like family style there, what friendship is like, and, you know, these huge kind of dinners, and we're dancing, and there's uh, music playing, and we're doing the swords, and I'm, I'm just watching all this tradition of, of centuries unfold in front of me. That's maybe one of my favorite things. An old, old friend of mine from in America who is now a resident of Saudi has a barbecue place there, Smoky Beards, best barbecue on the planet is in Saudi Arabia at Smoky Beards. You know Mutah. He's got the spot. Yeah. So as soon as I touch down, the before I drop my bags at the hotel, I got to go get myself some beef rib. I got to go get myself a, a, a sandwich with uh, shredded beef in there. Like, that's one of my favorite things about Saudi. When I came to the very first fight I did there, which was Joshua Ruiz 2, I went out into the desert and they had, you know, um, uh, they're not tents, but they had way out in the sand these, like, covered places where they were cooking and we were, you know, out there um, having a great time with Joshua's team. And I, I don't know the name of the structure you probably do, but when they're out in the desert and there's, you know, right. Um, you know, like the blankets on the top, and we got the couches and the yes, yeah, and we've got you know the kind of down. It's, it's Go ahead. It's kind of like a modified tent. You know, it's 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 kind of like a modified tent that you use just to you know to hang out in the desert. Right, but it was like sweltering heat, but somehow inside a tent it was fairly cool. Like it's designed well <laughs> for the heat, and it doesn't really yeah. make sense to me. But it was it was enjoyable time. We were driving the trucks up the sand, you know, and um, that was like a great experience. But Again, I just have to say that even when I'm at the mall or I'm getting food or it's late night and I'm headed home from an event and I'm, you know, pulling into the hotel, the one thing that I can always count on is hospitality from the very common man, from everybody who is there working and the people who are just walking the streets on their own time and their own lives. Notice that there is a visitor among them. Notice that it's me if they recognize me. It's the same for myself as it is for my camera guy, who they may not recognize, but notice that he is a visitor. It's always smiles. It's always, can I help you? Can I do something for you? Is there anything that you need? If I'm buying food, they try to buy it for me like strangers, which I can't allow, but they are really adamant about it. And that is generosity on their part. So the just everyday guy that you bump, to, bump into or, or, or woman that you bump into is always looking for a way to make your experience more pleasurable. And it works because it's the thing I most look forward to when I engage with the people there is just their generosity and their genuine hospitality. All right. I mean, what's cool about Vision 2030 and, you know, diversifying the economy is it's created this blossoming tourism sector. And what makes it a lot more interesting, as you just said and experienced, is that the, the you know, like the people here in, in, in Saudi, each one has taken it upon themselves to be, you know, like to play host, which right, is really right. interesting because as you, you know, in, in Saudi culture, hospitality is king. It's, it's one of the most pivotal things that, that makes, distinctifies the culture, I guess, from, from, from other cultures. And, uh, just like, you know, the Vision 2030 has, you know, created a, a booming 
tourism sector. It has made lots of international developments in the sports sector here in Saudi. So what are your thoughts about the developments of the sports sector here in Saudi? As we just talked about, there's a lot of international events. Saudi in general hosts a lot of global sporting events. So aside from combat sports, there is the um, Dakar Rally, there's Formula E, Formula One, and all these big, big fights that you and me have been bumping into. What are your thoughts, you know, from, from, you know, as, as a journalist who's traveled the world about a country that is recently doing a lot, a lot of, investment in the sports infrastructure. I can't wait to spend more time there experiencing other sports because when I go, obviously I'm working, it's combat sports, it's boxing in particular. I'm in the center of the ring or I am creating uh, shoulder programming for the big fight coming on that Saturday. And I don't get to go there and experience these other big events and other sports as much as I would like to. So because Saudi is always so dedicated to having like the biggest, the best, the top of the line that I think the citizenry there is a little spoiled. All they're seeing is like the best of the best all the time. And I want to go over there and get some of that myself. That's going to be really their trademark is that even the fights that can't get made around the world, the fights that we've been waiting for for years, the fights that nobody thought could be put together. Saudi's able to make it happen. Saudi's able to put those fights in front of us. Saudi's able to bring in other sports, the top of the line, the top competition, to the kingdom, and on a consistent basis, we're going to see the best of everything. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. Just the cream of the crop in every field that comes to Saudi is going to be on display at the best of their art form or at the best of their competitive levels. That is what I'm most looking forward to taking some time off when I'm not in the center of the ring and watching other sports display their excellence right there in the kingdom every time they come all right all right i mean uh anytime you get some free time to pop by in uh, in, in riyadh in in any big events happening give me g- give me a call i'd love to hook you up and we can hang out and, and check out some some races or something man oh count on <laughs> it count on it uh, all right and and uh move you know m- moving away from you know covering sports uh i mean you you also have your own podcast show it's called Till this day. So no, it's, no, it's, uh, no, no, no. It's called till this day. All right. All right. So we need to, we need, we need to add that extra oomph for it. So, okay. So it's till this day <laughs> with Radio Rahim, <laughs> which right. is a weekly podcast that is released on all podcasters and on YouTube. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about this, uh, you know, this, this podcast that you're doing? The unique aspect of the season that you're about to experience on all places you can get podcasts for free is that it yeah. was recorded in the height of the pandemic in Yellow Springs, Ohio, which is a very small town in America in a you know, mm-hmm. Midwestern state. In the backyard of Dave Chappelle, uh, the greatest comic to ever live, and a global superstar, took that moment in history to bring comedians and all kind of uh, top of the level talent, artists, politicians, athletes to this place in Yellow Springs where he did comedy shows in a cornfield. Well, I was there for the full duration of that. And during that time, he had a podcast going um, 
called The Midnight Miracle, and I also created a podcast at the same time, in the same space, called Till This Day, after my iconic moment, of course, with Deontay Wilder. So, these many people who showed up and spent that once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, uh, experience with us during COVID, I sat them down in a chair, and I had to figure out, because the reason I was in Yellow Springs for uh, almost an entire year was because boxing wasn't being able to be pursued outside in the world as every sport was shut down almost completely, so too was mine. So when I lost the opportunity to cover boxing, which was my week-to-week life, my day-to-day focus, my everything all the time, I had to think now, what is it that I'm most missing, right? Is it the combat in the actual ring? Is it the travel? Is it the people? Is it my camera guys and crew? Is it the attention even? Like, what is this life about that I've built and spent every day and every week traveling and doing that I no longer have access to? What is it What is it missing uh, from my life now that maybe I can find a way back to? And what I realized was, was the connection in the fight inside the people I was talking to. It's like my interviews are not just about the guy across the ring and who's up, who's down, who's going to win, who's going to lose. But really, before any fighter climbs through those ropes, they have to climb over so many hurdles internally to be able to perform at their best, to be able to even compete at this level and to succeed in anything in life. You have challenges, demons, hurdles to overcome. And what I realized was I've been blessed to know so many achieving people, so many people who have been so excellent at their craft or at their pursuit that they've become world famous for it, that when I looked around at my friends, I really had never had the conversation about the fight inside them. And what I made me think about was, you know, I've been talking to boxers my whole life, but you don't have to be a boxer to be a fighter. And I ended up realizing that in my friends, there were so many fighters who are definitely not boxers, but I spoke to them like fighters. And in this series of interviews, until this day in that season, I spoke to the fighter inside so many accomplished celebrity, uh, world-renowned people in different fields, different walks of life, and figured out how they overcame their opponent, which is, in many cases, an internal one. So I I cherish that first season that's coming out. It's going to be everywhere starting this Friday, in fact. Uh, and accessible to the world uh, for free. So wherever you get your podcast, wherever you find yourself in that conversation space, you'll be able to find till this day with Radio Raheem. All right, all right. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, success looks easy when, when you see the end goal, but nobody ever sees the trials and tribulations and struggles that people go through to get to, to where they want to be. And, and, you know, like, as you said, I mean, every, there, there's a fighter in every single person. So through, through all these interviews uh, that you've done, what are your most standout moments uh, and memorable interviews from, from your show? I'd say one of the moments that was most standout for me was actually the only boxer I spoke to during the first season was Clarissa Shields. And I almost didn't do the interview because I was worried that this would just sound like another boxing interview that I had done with her on previous occasions. I didn't want it to be that. And I didn't want it to sound like anything that we had done before. But since we had spoken so often, it seemed like inescapable that we would kind of fall into our old pattern. And when she showed up on the day and we got to talking, 
she spoke so honestly. She spoke so sincerely and was open about things in her life that I had no idea about. And we really did get into the fighter inside her that she had to become before she became the fighter in front of all of us. And so that journey with her through her life and, again, talking to somebody who I thought I knew very well and knew the story of detailed by detail, I was experiencing and shown a whole different side of her, a whole narrative that I knew nothing about, and it gave me an opportunity to experience something that it's hard sometimes to experience when you're in front of the camera and talking to people every day and you think you know who they are and you you get at these moments because you know how to reach those moments that even the person that you think you know best, if you are open and they are open with you, you can learn something new about everybody anytime. You've just got to go ahead and open yourself up be willing to be vulnerable, be willing to accept their vulnerability and talk to them one-on-one, human-to-human about your experiences. And you never know what will be on earth from people you may have known your whole life. So uh, Clarissa deserves a great uh, deal of credit and, uh, com- you know, and, and, and is commended because it was the most unexpected, one of the best experiences I've had as an interviewer. All right. And, uh, you know, as... Uh, you know, even as 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 an interviewer who's who's bringing out people's um, basically challenges that they've faced through life, you yourself in your long illustrious career have faced some controversies. You know, so how do you manage these challenges personally? Everybody has some controversies that they manage. Well, differently as the controversies themselves differ. Even you're early in life and you see something that you've done become the topic of conversation around the world, then you think that that's the only thing that is happening in the world. Like if every place you turn in your little life, everyone is talking about you and then you extrapolate that out to the greater internet or the newspapers and the TV uh, commentary is about something that you're at the center of. It can seem like nothing else in the world matters and this is the only thing that is your life is ever going to be about and it can be overwhelming. What you learn through life and being able to recognize that time is long and things change and they don't always look the same at the beginning as they end up being in the end, I've learned that with a little bit of patience, you take a deep breath, you look at things with a more broad perspective, you step back, and realize that the moment is just the moment, but what that long bend of history has in store for you, none of us know. And so as bad as something might seem, or as great as something might seem in the moment, you've got to be a good custodian of it. You've got to engage honestly, whatever the issue is, and you've got to kind of wait out sometimes for history and people's consciousness and understanding to catch up with whatever that moment was. Sometimes something looks like this on the day and it, people don't have enough information. People jump to conclusions. People are ready to, you know, bash you and beat you down and roast you or whatever. And then as more information comes available, as you keep your cool and calm and are uh, patient with people and willing to explain yourself in the right space, in the right time, then these things take a 
bigger, better, broader shape and become more understood around the world and by the people who you most admire and hope uh, continue to admire you. And ultimately, what happens is that you get benefit from it, that things that seem to be catastrophic at one time ultimately become productive and positive sometime down the line. doesn't always go that way. I won't say everything is, you know, roses and everything comes up cherries and blossoms. But oftentimes, if you wait long enough and you're sincere in your spirit or willing to learn from mistakes, that is what ultimately happens. And you become a better person for it. You become more mature because of it. And then the next time, if it was a mistake, you don't make that mistake again. And if you're experiencing something grand and aggrandizing, you don't go too far with that and allow yourself to get your ego uh, out of check because you know that moment is coming. That'll bring you right down to earth. So you find that balance. You find that middle ground where you be cool, you be calm, you be easy, you learn, and you grow, and ultimately you get where you need to go. I remember when, uh, in, you know, once upon a time when I was a news anchor and I was doing some training, I was this was really early in my career. Uh, I, I got some great advice from, from, from my trainer who, who was working in BBC News. And, and then they're like, it's it's not how you mess up when you're on air because you're going to mess up. It's how you pick yourself up right after it. So it's it's uh, and it's let me a tell good you this, moral. It's also, of, of, and not to cut you off, go on, I'm sorry. No, nah, I mean, it's it's, it's it's a good moral and mindset to have. So it's, it, it, it resonates to a lot of the things that you just said. It's also how you roll with it in the moment. Like if you panic, like you know you just, yeah. blew, you just said something you shouldn't say or you got the name wrong or something like that and you freeze up or you freak out, well, that's going to exacerbate the situation. Uh, if you yeah. roll with it, find the humor in it yourself right away or find the way to segue out of that and, and correct your path right then and there. Realize that the building's not on fire. Nobody's about to shoot you because you blew it for a moment. You can find a funny moment or a better moment in it. And, you know, it doesn't become cat- like some catastrophic event in your career. Just one of those moments that you prove why you're the guy on camera. Because you can move and be flexible and nimble when things don't go perfectly. I mean, I love you, man. (laughs) You remember that? (laughs) That is one of those moments. (laughs) So I love you, Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. The next time you're on camera and you flub a line or you blow it or you think the world is over because you just said the absolute wrong thing, just remember, everybody out there, but especially you, I love you too, man. Yeah, well, I love you too, bro. <laughs> I mean, hey, I've 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 been in a lot of those situations where I remember one time they actually told me to you know do do so through for the camel races they're usually in Arabic and then they wanted to try doing it in English and I knew nothing about camel races but I was trying it out you know I was always somebody who didn't mind trying something new and 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 I and I fumbled and and I was instead of calling you know like saying you know camel in English I was saying it in Arabic. And I just started laughing for like five, ten minutes. I couldn't hold myself. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but, I mean, it went well. Trial and error. Like you said, trial and error. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. you got to be the guy in that situation who got to do that, that call. And no one else in that moment had that opportunity but you. You found the funny in it. You found the moment like that you had to roll with. You roll with it. And now you're better on camera, you're better on the mic than you were that day, and you always will be because you had that experience. Just because it hurts in the moment, it heals you stronger, it heals you better, and now these guys, they can't catch up with you because you keep going, and you keep finding ways to get that camera and that mic and get in front of an audience and do the thing that you do best. 
that's all it's about, man. Whatever happens, keep going. You're actually, you know, you practice what you preach. You're, you're, you're pretty humble. So you're, you're known as one of the greatest modern voices in boxing today. Uh, and that's, that's, that's not like me, you know, boasting about having you on the show. That's literally who you are and you're being humble about it. But can you share the journey of how you got, you know, to this career path all the way to your upcoming, you know, show, the Brixton Radio Rahim I mean, well, first of all, that's very kind of you to say. I, I hope that's true and people agree. Uh, I think, if anything, it's just because... According to my research, you are. So, yeah, <laughs> you are. <laughs> I think people appreciate a sincere approach. You know, I come honest. I come real. I do what it is that I believe is organic, right, which comes from the spirit, comes from the heart. And I approach every interview that way, and I respect the person I'm talking to, but also the situation that they're in. And we have an honest chat about whatever it is, is the topic of the day. So that part of it, I think, is what connects the audience to my content and hopefully allows them to keep trusting me day in and day out, year in and year out, uh, to bring them the honest truth as I can unearth it from any subject on any platform. The way I got into doing that was because uh, I'm an only child. I got an opportunity to call radio stations when I was a kid, because I didn't have any siblings to, like, you know, occupy my time. So I would call up radio stations and talk to the DJ just because I got an opportunity to hear my voice over the stereo. And then I went to a performing arts uh, series of schools. You know, my elementary school was performing arts. I went to a performing arts high school. And by that time, uh, I was at a school that had a radio station on campus. I got the school to allow me to turn the equipment on and see if we could do a broadcast. And so I've done that. It went out about a five mile radius from my campus out into the surrounding city. And I was doing an after school show about what a 16 year old, of course, thinks is important. But it was talk show kind of material. And that is where I began broadcasting. Right. The gym that I went to in Los Angeles at the time had very newly opened, but was full of world championship boxers, top level trainers. It now is world famous wild card boxing gym. So I started shooting sparring sessions because I wanted to get my camera operating skills down, work the shadows, work the live action, figure out the angles in real time. And fighters would allow me to do it. Once I got to doing that, the interesting thing that I learned about boxing was fighters don't watch tape, or at least they didn't then. And so these videos that I shot of them sparring, I'm talking like, you know, James Tony, Manny Pacquiao. I'm talking about fighters who are now, you know, Hall of Famers or first ballot Hall of Famers when as soon as they retire. And soon those videos, as the Internet grew, became newsworthy. And once that happened, I realized that there is an industry here that could blossom and that. There was a passion I had to do something that wasn't being done, which was cover the sport of boxing, create video content out of the environment that I'm so fortunate to be in, and bring that content to the world. So that is where I began covering boxing, in a way, with a show called Gym Wars, which was me and who is now the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine, Doug Fisher. He and I would commentate sparring sessions as if you were watching them on TV. The interviews I was doing was getting a huge amount of attention. And so I continued to do them. I would show up at 
fights and do interviews with my little camera and my microphone when no one was doing it, I created this space that now is the primary medium for how you get day-to-day boxing coverage. I was a guy out there with a camera and a microphone interviewing fighters in the locker room after they got into the ring, uh, you know, sometimes right there on the apron on televised boxing matches, I would be up there on the apron talking to world championship fighters because just nobody was doing it. Nobody knew what to do with it. And so I was doing it. And I began this medium that we now all know as online boxing journalism. All right. Okay. I mean, uh, when you just took me through that journey, I just realized you and me have something very much in common. So you started at your teens. I started media at 12 doing a kid show here. So you know, we all started at a at a pretty young age to and, and caught that media bug and guess made something of it. Uh, before we wrap up this interview, I always ask my guests this: What is your personal message to the audience? First thing I would like for everyone to remember, no matter what situation they're in, is that they are a fighter. It's one of the things that I continue to learn as many. Professional fighters, as I speak to, not unlike what I spoke about until this day and that having that experience, that inside of us, we all have the ability to overcome. You have to find the courage inside you to tap into that ability and put it forward in a circumstance that you might think you're overmatched in. That's what boxing is really about. That's what fighting is really about. But if you ask me, that's what life is is really about meeting those moments and knowing that inside you, you have enough not just to meet the moment, but to succeed in the moment. Even when it looks dire, even when you got to pull on something that you're not sure is down there in the belly and the bottom of your guts, something you got to find that you may have never used before, never accessed before, the only thing that'll help you get past this hurdle, it's in there. And you got to find it and you got to trust that it's in there. And if you do, It'll be right there when you need it. You're a fighter. I'm a fighter. All these boxers that you watch and idolize and cheer for, you're cheering for yourself because they're displaying something that's inside you. Don't forget to find it. All right, all right. That's 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 some good advice, and I personally agree with you. I've I've, I've I fight I fight every day to get to get to where I'm at and where I'm going. That's hence why I like to be called the Saudi cowboy. And before we wrap up this uh, interview, the next time y'all see Radio Rahim, rest assured that it's clobbering time. See y'all later. See you later.